Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus you want the upper hand in your fantasy football leagues? Then you've come to the right place. To the right place. You're listening to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. Now, here's your host, Faraz Sadiqi and Zach Rizzuto. What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. I am Faraz. I'm here with Zach. We are talking bust candidates today. One of my least favorite topics because I hate talking negatively about players zach we were just talking about this before the show you don't like it either but uh you know i I, listen i just want all of them to have wonderful years you know and yes we know that that's not the reality of football we know that it's not the reality of fantasy football so many times we draft a player thinking that they're going to be all right and have a great year but so many times they fall well short of expectations and you know we're going to try to identify those players for you in this episode before your fantasy football draft. Um, You know, we're in full draft prep mode at this point. If you heard the last couple of episodes, you know, make sure to tune in, in, tune tune into those um, that we, that we've done over the last several weeks. We talked about draft strategy on the last episode earlier this week. We talked breakouts last week, our favorite late round targets, some upside targets, all in different episodes. So make sure to check out all those, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're listening on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening on. It helps us out way more than you know. I do want to get into a couple pieces of news, Zach. Uh, The Patriots, they worked out both Leonard Fournette and Daryl Henderson. It looks like they're thinking of adding a running back to that room behind Ramondre Stevenson. And I think the fact that they're looking at Fournette is interesting because if he signs, like I'd be worried about, I'd be a little worried about a little committee foreman right here yeah. with Ramondre, obviously, as the guy. But, uh, you know, Bill O'Brien, you know, he doesn't have a history of running a, a, a real committee. We know that Belichick does, obviously. Um, I still think Ramondre is the primary guy, would be the primary guy if Fournette were to sign on, you know, all three downs. But I think Fournette offers like a poor man's Ramondre skill set, right, at this point of his career. Because he's yeah. got kind of like this do-it-all type of back on, on every down. I think if Fournette were to sign with the Patriots at some point, he could become a legit like every down handcuff to Ramondre um, if that were to be the case. And, 
you know, Ramondre, I think he would have to take a little bit of a bump down, you know, in, in the rankings if Fournette were to get were to sign. Uh, because I would I would expect Fournette to get some run and not just operate as a backup, you know, that doesn't see the field at all. Now, mm-hmm. with Dell Henderson, though, I can see that situation playing out where Dell Henderson is just a backup. Right, maybe he yeah. comes in for some pass passing down snaps, and maybe he comes in to you know for some blocking and stuff like that. Uh, I would re- really be worried about him at all, and I, w- I wouldn't even bump Ramondre down at all if he were to sign with the Patriots. But the fact that the Pats are looking for a running back is something anyone drafting Ramondre Stevenson should be made aware about. And you know, let's just hope it's not a running back who you know should earn touches like a Fournette. Let's say, yeah. So. Which running backs in your mind, like obviously they worked out for net, but what other running backs? I know there's a bunch of free agents. Would you be worried about them adding? I mean, I'm assuming Dalvin Cook would be in that conversation. Of but course. Like, would a guy like Dalvin Green Cook? Hunt I would be a stream. Dalvin Cook would would bump Ramondre down a couple rounds in fantasy yeah. drafts, in my opinion. Right? right. Um. So, and whoever's the cheaper guy in the backfield, I'll probably draft him. Like it's at that point. If Fournette yeah. goes there, you know. I might be dropping Ramondre, you know, maybe a, a round at most, if yeah. that. Dallas Anderson, I'll, pro- I'll probably move Ramondre up. <laughs> <laughs> you can move him up because they had somebody else. That's hilarious. But, yeah, Fournette would be the one that I'm, you know, worried about. I think that's the most realistic signing. I don't think they're going to go out of their way to sign Dalvin Cook. That, that That's just me. Um, right. I, I wouldn't be worried about – I mean, if Kareem Hunt went there, that would be interesting because that's kind of like Fournette type of – change in workload i think that would be what we see that would be the case but um, i remember the role yeah. that hunt played with alongside nick chubb last year right nick chubb is uh he's pretty good and yeah. uh you know for <laughs> he was taken off the field uh, for kareem hunt last year um you know on passing downs and third downs and stuff like that so could we see a little bit of a split there if hunt were to join the patriots i think so yeah, because like I said, obviously they worked out for net, but it seems to be they worked out Daryl Henderson too. It seems to be that they're looking for a running back. So now you look at the whole uh, free agent market where it is right now. You look at the running backs that are there. The only ones that really you know would I think affect him would be Fournette or Kareem Hunt. I'm not worried about Zeke going there. Like Zeke, there's no role for him in New England. There just isn't. And Dallin Cook, like I said, I don't think he's going to go there. But yeah, absolutely, Ramondre Stevenson owners. You know, they're kind of. Their cheeks are a little clenched right now because they're wondering if there's going to be another Ooh. running back joining in there. So I don't want to see anybody there. But the last time I said I didn't want to see somebody added to another room, which was DeAndre Hopkins, I said I didn't want him to go to Tennessee. He did. So should I say that I don't want Fournette to go to the Patriots? I mean, maybe I should just say I want the Fournette to go to the Patriots and that'll keep him off the team. <laughs> that That's uh, the yeah. ideal scenario. But dude, you know, it's funny, man. Like I didn't realize just now that my butt cheeks were clenched and now they're not like, thank you for that. Like I just relaxed myself. Like I, I didn't realize how everybody in the, in that's listening. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> even realize it, dude. Like I was just like, why am I so like stressed out? I Tense. just realized that it's because my butt <laughs> cheeks were clenched this entire right. time. Well, remind um, drafters, uh, drafters, you're still going to have to keep them, you know, that way for a little bit. <laughs> You might have to clench up your butt cheeks again because Brees Hall was placed on the pup to start training camp. I'm just kidding. I mean, this was probably an expected move, right? He's getting ready to yeah. potentially be good for good to go for week one. You know, we'll see how that works out. Uh, he might miss a game or two, but he might not. And him going on the pup right now is not a surprise. No need to worry any more than you if you already were. That's fine. 
there were some rumblings about Isaiah Pacheco potentially starting camp on the pup, but he was seen practicing already. He was wearing a non-contact jersey, but that's good news for him after having a couple of off-season surgeries and the fact that there were a couple of misleading reports that he could potentially start on the pup. There was even a misleading report from Sleeper that said that yeah. he was going to potentially miss the first six weeks of the season by, by being placed on the pup. Being placed on the pup for training camp has nothing to do with in-season pup. Yeah, okay. the preseason pup and in-season pup are two different things. So two different things. That, that was the clarification that they made. I got that report. I was like, there's no way. I, I was like, no, I it didn't make any sense. That he was doing all right. I was like, there's no way he's missing the first six weeks. Like, they wouldn't do that. And, and and they wouldn't and they wouldn't like make that claim right now, right? So, right. This early, yeah. yeah. No. Kendra Miller also starting camp on the pup list. He either has a meniscus injury or MCL injury or both. It's kind of unclear right now. Uh, you know, we knew he was hurt coming into the draft process. He hurt his knee in the first half of the Fiesta Bowl. You know, so hopefully he'll be back soon. These players can be taken off the pup list at any time during camp. By the way, yeah. Um, so nothing alarming there, from those reports. No, somebody who was. Uh, Kurt last year in training camp, uh, J.K. Dobbins. There are some rumblings from beat reporters that Todd Munkin has plans to get J.K. Dobbins out in space and use him more as a receiver, which is music to my ears and to anyone else who likes Dobbins this year. Dobbins hasn't been used as a receiver a whole lot during his NFL career, uh, but he really only has his rookie season you know, in the pros to go off of at this point. But he did catch 71 balls in three seasons at Ohio State, so there is a little bit of precedence here for J.K. Dobbins to be a little bit more involved in the receiving game. Yeah. Sky Moore uh, is going to be the Chiefs, uh, Chiefs' top slot option this year, according to some B reports. It makes sense. And we talked about this a couple times this offseason already. Uh, we kind of expected this to be the case after their top receivers who played the slot last year are no longer with the team. Uh, Sky Moore fits that role perfectly. He did that in college a lot, and that's how I see that playing out this year. And if that's the case, then he's going to be on the field a whole lot. He is the Chiefs wide receiver that I am targeting, if I'm targeting any of these guys. Let's get into our bust candidates. Drum roll, please. Time to be assholes. <laughs> Let, let's, let's do our best to be as nice as possible, Zach. Um, Zach, kick it off, man. Who is somebody who has bust potential? Our first bust on my list. Travis Etienne, he's the RB4 team right now, going off the board in the fourth round. Not a lot of people realize it, but Travis Etienne, he was just the RB24 in PPR points per game last year, and that was with the lead role, quote-unquote, in the backfield, locked down in Week 7. So, uh, In sure. every down role. Every okay, down Okay, not just a lead role, in every down role. So I'm with you. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I digress. Please thank go you, ahead, Zach. Sorry of about course. that. Gotcha. I appreciate the clarification. It just adds to my point. Sure, he was efficient on the ground. He had 4.9 yards per carry from week seven on, and that was fifth among running backs that played 50% of snaps, so that's great. But he was just the RB16 in fantasy points scored in that same span from week seven on. And that was behind James Conner, who played in just eight games after week 11. ETN played all 11. James Conner's going off the board in the seventh round. ETN's going off the board in the fourth. Like, what the heck is going on here? So... Yeah. Well, Zach, the app Zach, there could be, you know, one I'm, I'm raising my hand here. You know, one thing that we could say is that, you know, ETN is going to be on a better offense. So does that counteract any of this? Um, you know, like, can he catch up to that 
going into next season because of the fact that obviously he's going to be on an upcoming offense compared to James Conner, who's on a very shitty offense. Please. Yes, that's Go fine. Ahead. Yeah. So I'm going to get into that. So there's obvious quips it's like, oh, he's going to be on a good offense, right? The yardage was there on the ground for ETN, but his stats were inflated by two or three games. That was week seven, eight, and nine. He scored four of his five touchdowns on the year. He scored one touchdown in the last eight games of the year. And he saw just 26 targets in that span as well. And that's where the problem comes in. That's consistently mediocre production. And with reports that Tank Bigsby, and this just came out yesterday, I saw it, the guy that they brought in to be the early down bruiser, there's reports that he's suddenly wowing Jags coaches with his receiving ability. Is ETN really going to be in line for 50 catches, even 40? I mean, he just broke 40 last season in that every down role, like you said, in a pass first offense. Trevor Lawrence had the seventh most regular season attempts last year, and ETN only had those 43 targets. That's just two and a half a game. So how is ETN supposed to get enough volume in a receiving game to buoy lackluster production in the offense when he couldn't even do it with minimal competition last year? The Jags went ahead and added Calvin Ridley, too, and he could see 100 targets. So I get that ETN was a great talent coming out of the draft. He's on a better offense than guys like I just mentioned, James Conner, but the Jags don't seem to want to commit to giving him that workhorse volume anymore. And that sentiment, it's not just echoed by words, it's action. They came out, they said, we don't want ETN getting 75% of snaps anymore. That was earlier this offseason. And then they drafted a good running back in Tank, Tank Bigsby early in the draft. He was a third-round pick. It just blows me away that ETN's the RB14 right now at underdog. He could be an RB3. So I think he has bust written all over him, just given the fact that his role in the receiving game was small. It could get even smaller with more targets on the perimeter for Trevor Lawrence to throw to. And he wasn't his production on the ground, there were a lot of yards, but there weren't a whole lot of touchdowns to go with it. Zach, I love it. I love it. And, you know, I think my disdain for drafting Travis Etienne at his price this year is pretty well documented. And yeah. uh, you nailed on a lot of the points. And, you know, I think the main point for me is like, if he couldn't get it, he, you know, severely outperformed, uh, underperformed, right, on the opportunity that he had last year, I think the offense go moving forward is going to get better and i think that can offset some of it but then we get some more taken away because of tank bigsby's bigsby's potential role like i'm not sure why everyone's looking at zach charbonnet as like a threat to kenneth walker but then like not looking at bigsby being a threat to etn like i don't really understand that you know and yeah. it, it probably is because charbonnet has more name value than bigsby mm -hmm. um but i think bigsby is like in that conversation of you know like like I'll, I'll 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 give it to you this way like i wouldn't be surprised if bigsby's a better running back in the nfl than charbonnet wouldn't be surprised yeah. like would i bet on charbonnet over bigsby i would but like it's not by this huge delta right so mm -hmm. just saying just saying and you know a goal line opportunity can be taken away i don't think bigsby was this amazing pass catcher in college but like he's capable yeah. right and it's not like etn was like gobbling up targets here last year he was one of no. the worst um, given the opportunity that he had, and he was terrible inside the five-yard line in terms of uh, how many carries that he got and what his conversion rate was. Now, speaking of conversion rate at the goal line, let's talk about Austin Eckler. I haven't drafted a whole lot of Austin Eckler this year. At the price that he's going, I'm drafting way more of the top four wide receivers. I'm drafting Christian McCaffrey. And by the time like all five of those guys are off the board, Eckler's off the board too, you know, but yeah. by someone else. Um, does Eckler have the upside he's been showing the last few years? Of course, right? Like, 
But here's why I haven't been drafting him, right? If you're drafting Eckler, you have relatively full confidence that he's going to be that guy, right? The Chargers just changed their offensive coordinator, though. And, you know, Eckler is a weapon in the receiving game on what should be an extremely pass-heavy offense. But Justin Herbert checked it down at the second highest rate last year. Now, is that going to continue again with Kellen Moore coming in? I don't know. When Keenan Allen was hurt last year, who was Herbert supposed to throw it to, right? Like you had Mike Williams, who was a downfield target. Who was their short term intermediate target? They just didn't have one besides Austin Eckler, right? And now you have Keenan Allen potentially staying healthy this year. You have Quentin Johnston, one of the best after-the-catch receivers in this class. You know he's going to get the ball to see what he can do with it after-the-catch, short to intermediate. We can see the tight ends more involved, right? Specifically, Gerald Everett with the higher route participation this year. Uh, you know, Kellen Moore used Dalton Schultz heavily in Dallas, one of the highest route participations over the last couple of years. Uh, and look at what Eckler, look at Eckler's opportunity with and without Keenan Allen on the field last year. His targets dropped by almost four per game. Now, I'm looking at uh, Fantasy Life NFL data profiles right now on fantasylife.com. And it's interesting that Eckler last year was targeted on 28% of his routes run, which is absolutely nuts. That's insane, right? Yeah. It, which is awesome. But Pollard, he was targeted on only 20% of his routes run, right? And from an efficiency standpoint, if you're looking at yards per route run, Eckler was at 1.55 yards per route run last year, and Pollard was at 1.45. Yards after the catch per reception, Eckler was at 7.9, and Pollard was at 8.5. That was the third highest in the league last year among qualifying running backs. So is it possible that Eckler isn't as ridiculously utilizing the receiving game, especially given the fact that the Chargers have more weapons this year than the Cowboys did last year, right? So that's possible. Um, and, like, is dumping down to your running back an efficient way to run an offense? Like, it, it, not really, right? Not as much as they did, right? Is it utilizing Justin Herbert's strengths? No, it's not. 6.9 average depth of target for Justin Herbert last year. Okay, that was terrible. Like, that was 29th in the league last year among qualifying running backs. I'm sorry. That was 29th in the league last year among qualifying quarterbacks. And we haven't even hit the fact that we don't know how this goal line role is going to shake out. Eckler has been the most efficient running back within the five-yard line. Okay, so these goal line carries, he's been getting it done better than anybody else, believe it or not. But that was really just a thing with his previous offensive coordinator. Like Mike Lombardi was the one who made that change two years ago when he came in. Before he came in, only nine rushing touchdowns before that year. He didn't have a goal line role. And 25 rushing touchdowns over the last two seasons. And now, you know, we have Kellen Moore, who clearly preferred a bigger back at the goal line last year, despite Pollard being a, a lot bigger than Eckler, right? So just not a, a rock-solid pick for me. I think there's a chance, given his price – that he busts, right? Now, yeah. you know, he has an extremely high floor regardless. But if I'm going, you know, if I'm picking at number one, number two, number three overall, I'm going with somebody who probably has a little bit more, you know, a little bit more safer, I would say, than how I feel Austin Eckler is going into this year. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, classifies it pretty much the same way I see Austin Eckler. He's like the least safe of all the very good first picks. You know, like if you had to pick one that has the most risk associated with him, I think that would be Austin Eckler. And you mentioned Kellen Moore coming in. He featured 
two running backs. I mean, granted, he had Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, but he featured two running backs regardless. And I'm not saying that Isaiah Spiller is going to be coming in and he's suddenly going to have this goal line role. It's going to make him relevant, but it's worth you know thinking about it. Is Eckler, like you mentioned, going to have this goal line role just locked down? I don't know if that's a guarantee. And then also with, you know, the targets that he was getting, he was checked down to, he said it was the second highest rate. Like what kind of offensive coordinator wants their quarterback, like Justin Herbert, who has an absolute cannon for an arm, checking it down to Austin Eckler. Like that's not your MO on offense. I mean, Kellen Moore likes fireworks on offense. We saw that with Dallas last year when Dak was healthy. It was all kinds of deep shots, plenty of, you know, fireworks production drawing up the plays he's going to want to get the ball into the hands of Keenan Allen Quentin Johnson Mike Williams you have Justin Herbert who can throw it with the best of them in the league they're not going to leave him back there to dump it down a ton of times to Austin Eckler so I completely understand where you're coming from with the you know targets and that kind of thing and yeah Eckler he is a little disgruntled too you don't want to you know factor that in too much but I'm just interested to see you know even though he does have that rework contract he's still obviously upset about it and this whole rb thing is going on i don't know if it's going to affect his play but it's worth mentioning especially with the amount of talent that's around him so i i'm with you on that one i agree with that Ooh, i like it i like agreement all right let's go to your next one dude yeah we're staying on the chargers so we got two players on the chargers that could be busts and i agree with austin eckler but i think the other guy that's going to bust or has a very good chance of busting is Mike Williams. He's the receiver. He's pretty much the odd man out. Keen Allen, he's going to be the first target for Justin Herbert as long as he's on the team. We saw that at the end of last year. I think it's fair to say at this point that Williams no longer fits that description of the wide receiver 1B to Keenan Allen's wide receiver 1A. More like a wide receiver 2. So that makes Williams the wide receiver 2 in the Chargers offense then, right? Well, not necessarily. I mean, even when Keenan Allen was out, Josh Palmer, remember him? He actually out-targeted Williams in two of the six games that they played that they played in before the Chargers week 8-5 when Keenan Allen was out. Now, that normally wouldn't constitute an issue heading into the season if the wide receiver room stayed the same. But the Chargers used their first-round pick. It's not like they just drafted the receiver with some upside in like the second or third round. They used their first-round pick on Quinton Johnston, a wide receiver who you said is very good after the catch, but also kind of matches up with Mike Williams' skill set. You know, he's going to be a, a jump ball guy, too. Austin Eckler, he's going to be coming out of the backfield, even if he doesn't get 100 targets. Say he gets 80. He's still going to have 80-some targets this season. And it doesn't help Williams' case anymore that Keenan Allen came back in Week 11 last year and finished as a PPR wide receiver, two in the last eight weeks, eight weeks of the season. And that just proves it's not a Justin Herbert problem. You know, Justin Herbert was without a bunch of his weapons for a lot of time last year. It's not a Justin Herbert problem. When he has Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen produces. Mike Williams, not so much. So could Mike Williams be falling out of favor in the Chargers offense? Let's see. He didn't take command of the target share when his biggest competition for targets went down. Check. New coaching staff brought in. They hand-selected a wide receiver with a similar skill set to his in the first round of the draft. Check. Going to be 30 years old in 2023 and with a completely fresh player competing for targets. Check, double check, triple check. Herbert isn't afraid to play favorites, and when Keenan Allen was on the field at the same time as Williams at the end of last year, it was Williams getting the butt end of the stick. Allen got 20 more targets, 19 more passes than Williams did from week 14 on last year. It remains to be seen what kind of impact Quentin Johnson's going to have, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt as a first-round pick that they're going to use him in an equitable way. 
And as we've seen, when receivers not named Mike Williams get targets, it doesn't come out of Keenan Allen's target share. It comes out of Williams. So even as a wide receiver 25 off the board, I think he's in danger of busting, especially if he's equal or overtaken in the receiving game by Quentin Johnson, which I don't think is that crazy to think. Yeah, I think there are a lot of question marks around Mike Williams. And, you know, you mentioned one of the main reasons is that the fact that they drafted a first-round wide receiver, a lot of similar similar skill sets between these two guys. One thing that Mike Williams didn't necessarily have is the yards after the catch ability. Where does that target share get taken out of? I don't think it's being taken out of Keenan Allen a whole lot. Eckler's no. there. You have Gerald Everett, I mentioned, potentially taking a step forward, higher up participation, more targets. Remember, Dalton Schultz isn't this, like, extremely athletic tight end that you just have to get involved in the offense. Um, so Gerald Everett is somebody that we've been waiting to potentially see if they get a higher route participation. I think it could happen. And we've seen yeah. some reports of that potentially happening too. So I'm, I'm with you on that one, man. Um, another crowded situation, man. Debo Samuel, wide receiver 16 on sleeper at the 3-4 turn. He averaged 11 PPR fantasy points per game last year after CMC joined the team. Now, he was banged up, okay? So yep. not completely fair, right? He's going to have his games. And before Christian McCaffrey joined, 15.2 fantasy points per game. Awesome. A lot more doable. But a lot of those targets, short, intermediate, at least you know, a lot of those targets short is going to go to McCaffrey now, right? They have way yeah. too many mouths to feed in San Francisco. Uh, Debo has the ability to take any catch to the house. And, you know, he had a solid 22% target share last year. But if Ayuk takes a step forward, and you have Kittle on the field. You have McCaffrey knowing the offense a little bit more going into his second year with the team. It, it's it's just hard for me to bet on Debo coming through on that wide receiver 16 price tag. You know, he's not targeted downfield at all, right? Only 15% of his um, – he, he only had a 15% air yard share last year. Wide receiver threes – okay, I'm talking about fantasy wide receiver threes – average 27% air yard share according to Fantasy Life Data Profiles. Okay, so we're really depending very heavily on his after-the-catch ability and the fact that he gets some extra carries as well. But, you know, you got CMC, you got Elijah Mitchell. Not sure Debo is going to get those money touches, especially in the red zone, as much as he did two seasons ago because that's really the season that we're kind of like holding on to out of the four oh, yeah. years that he's been in the league. Yeah, that's what makes him a special receiver is that, you know, he can play both roles. He could run the ball and catch. But when that rushing role isn't really doing its thing, which he was super dependent on, actually, at the end of that 2021 season, he didn't average a whole lot of yards, you know, receiving a game at the end of 2021. When he has to hold on to that and it gets taken away like it did kind of last year, you know, you get the type of finish that you had last year where it was just this wide receiver 40 finish out of nowhere. It's like Debo Samuel's a better player than this. But when you look also, like you mentioned, at the weapons that are on that offense, you can't not feed Christian McCaffrey. You can't not feed Brandon Ayuk. You can't not feed George Kittle. And you have an efficient quarterback that's going to be playing, presumably. I'm going to say Brock Purdy. He's an efficient quarterback. That's all he has to do to succeed on this offense. And he does that very well. When you're efficient, you distribute the ball. Brandon Ayuk's going to be getting targets all over the place. Debo Samuel, I don't think, is going to challenge him for targets. You know, If anybody's going to be a target leader, it's going to be Brandon Ayuk, and I think you would agree with that. Debo Samuel isn't going to have as many targets as Brandon Ayuk. He's not going to have as many rushing attempts, obviously, as Christian McCaffrey. He's like, he's a very good player. He can play in all different roles, but they already have very good players to fill all those roles. So, like, he's constantly going to be playing behind somebody, and that's just going to hurt his value, which I think 
what's he going as right now? I forget what you said his ADP was. So wide receiver 16? No. 16. Yep, wide receiver 16 on sleeper. Uh, that makes him a, th- uh, a pick of the 3-4 turn. That's just crazy. <laughs> He's not going to be the top option in the receiving game or the run game. So I think that is just crazy. And he could definitely bust. He was on my list. I, I sent my short list. He was on my short list of players, but, you know. That, I mean, there's a chance that he finishes fourth in target share. <laughs> yeah, it's there's a crazy. chance, you know, and um, I, I wouldn't bet on that. I would, I would guess second or third, but still, I mean, that's not, that's not amazing. If I have to depend on your after the catch ability as a wide receiver, you're not getting the target share or the air yards. Like I, it's not something I want to depend on. Yeah, I, I hear you 100 on that one. And speaking of wide receivers, you know, I have another wide receiver that is. I can't believe he's going this high. It's not high by a lot of people's standards. It's not wide receiver 16 on sleeper high. But DJ Moore, wide receiver 26 right now in underdog, coming off the board in the 4-5 turn. A lot of people are, like, bullish on him, and I don't really understand. Like, I get it. Justin Fields, you know, he could take the next step. That could change things. But I looked into it a little bit, and it's actually pretty bleak, at least for DJ Moore in terms of his fantasy production. I get that Fields can take the step forward in the passing game. But at the end of the day, this is a run-first offense. He's going to feature a heavy dose of fields, moving the ball with his legs, and handing it off to Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson, which speaking that Roshan Johnson, you know, roll into existence. I'm going to continue to do that here. Justin Fields might have averaged 20 fantasy points per game last year. Yes, but he wasn't doing that throwing the ball to his receivers. The highest finish by a Bears receiver last year was a wide receiver 70, done by Chase Claypool, who wasn't even with the team halfway through the year. Darnell Mooney was a wide receiver 72. Like, I get that this trend, this whole trend going on of number one wide receivers going to teams with young quarterbacks and then they take the next step. It happens and it's real. But can DJ Moore meet his wide receiver 26 ADP if Justin Fields is throwing the ball at the second lowest rate of any quarterback with at least 350 dropbacks? That's what he did last season. I just don't really see that. He averaged just 21 pass attempts, Justin Fields did, per game last year in 15 games. And the guy that we compare him to all the time when we talk about him taking the next step, Jalen Hurts, he averaged 30 attempts per game last year, and he averaged 28 attempts per game the year before. So he went from 28 attempts per game, which is eight attempts per game higher than Justin Fields had, you know, in the season before he's supposed to take this next step. And he only bumped it up, Jalen Hurts, to 30 attempts a game. So that's a two attempt per game difference. Is Justin Fields really going to jump that high up and added targets? I don't really think so. Even if Fields increases his passing volume by 25% in 2023, he'd still be averaging just 23 attempts per game over a full 17-game season because he only played 15 games last year. And that's not going to be enough for DJ Moore to get it done, unfortunately. I hate to tell you. But according to Fantasy Life's passing accuracy statistics, you know, Justin Fields has the third highest bad throw percentage and the fourth lowest on-target pass percentage in the NFL among quarterbacks with 300 more attempts. So even if there's more volume to be had for DJ Moore, you know, even if Fields improves his accuracy this offseason, it's hard to imagine that Moore is going to be earning a bunch of quality targets. Darnell Mooney's still there. So is Chase Claypool. And Cole Komet, you know, he was actually one of Fields' favorite red zone targets down the stretch in the games where he was on fire. I love DJ Moore as a receiver. I think he's great. And I love Justin Fields, too, as a quarterback. But the bread and butter of the offense is going to be the run game. Bread and butter for Justin Fields is going to be scrambling, moving the ball, creating plays with his legs. The pass attempts aren't ever going to climb to a level where he can get the consistent type of production that we want out of any Bears receiver, let alone DJ Moore. 
And he could fall into the wide receiver 40s range this season. I think I don't think that's too crazy, you know. And to have him going as wide receiver 26 as early as a fourth round in some leagues, like that would be a titanic bust if you take him as a wide receiver two and he's outside the top 40, which I think is within his range of outcomes. I think DJ Moore is a very good wide receiver. At the end of the day, his situation might not be ideal. Um, now, I think that more Moore's range of outcomes, um, the high end range of outcomes, is high in wide receiver too this year. But yep. his low end is pretty low, and it's possible that the Bears don't number one, you know, uh, pass the ball a lot more than they were last year, right? And it's possible that Justin Fields continues to not be an accurate passer. That's very yep. possible, right? And that's the concern. I saw more from Jalen Hurts going into last year than I saw from Justin Fields going into this year. And getting A.J. Brown is a very, very different thing than getting D.J. Moore. Okay? Yep. A.J. Brown is a superstar alpha wide receiver one. D.J. Moore is a solid, you know, Wide receiver one for a team. We're talking NFL here, not fantasy. So, yeah, DJ Moore has always been a good wide receiver, but where he's going right now, the range of outcomes is too high for me, uh, too too large, I would say, for me to draft him. Um, even though he's one of those guys that when you pass on him, you're like, well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up going ape shit. But at the end of the day, if I had to put percentages on it, I would say that DJ Moore might not be. Uh, might not have a great fit. You know who was a great fit for for him? Honestly, Sam Darnold. Sam yeah. Darnold was a great fit for him. You know because you know he was actually pretty accurate in his starts. He he was accurate downfield, um, and he just like worked well with DJ Moore. And now he's going to a situation where the on target percentage uh, for quarterbacks like Justin Fields is like at the bottom of the league, and yeah. he, he would have yeah. to make serious strides in order for him to improve on that. So we'll see, man. Like, I, you know, I'm rooting for Justin Fields because if he does take a step forward, you know, he's going to absolutely kill it. I'm not, I'm less worried about him, but I hear you on Justin, on, um, on DJ Moore, man. I, I, mm -hmm. I totally, totally understand that. I personally haven't drafted a whole lot of Jalen Waddle at his price. And there are a few reasons for that. He's obviously an extremely dynamic player. And you can point to the fact that he overperformed with his opportunity because he's so good. But there's also a chance that if that opportunity doesn't come up this year, then that he regresses a little bit. Okay. Among all the top wide receivers last year, he had the highest differential in expected fantasy points versus actual fantasy points. You know, and you know, you have guys like Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, AJ Brown, also, you know, outperforming their expected fantasy points, but they're also getting a much higher target share. Than Waddle, right? Waddle only had a 20% target share last year. He's being drafted as a low-end wide receiver one or you know, borderline wide receiver one as a wide receiver 11. And wide receiver ones can't sustain that expected fantasy production with only a 20% target share, right? And we know that Tyreek yeah. Hill is going to eat first in that passing offense. He was up at 28% target share alongside Devonta Adams for tops in the league. So you combine that you combine that with his air yard share, and according to Dwayne McFarlane of Fantasy Life, those two underlying metrics for Waddle are more in line with wide receiver two and wide receiver three numbers. 
Okay, Waddle outperformed his opportunity because he's a baller, but it might not be sustainable, right? It's possible that you're drafting him as a wide receiver 11, but he ends up finishing as like a mid-wide receiver two, maybe wide receiver 18, right? So if you go back to last year, weeks weeks 7 to 16 with Tua playing healthy, he had only 6.4 targets per game and only 4.1 catches per game. Okay, and it came with some good fantasy weeks, but damn, like I can't have the wide receiver 11 off the board having that kind of opportunity, right? And you might like Waddle at his price. And if you're interested in seeing where all these other guys are being taken in drafts for real money, I'd recommend checking out Underdog Fantasy and doing some best ball drafts. That's where the market is talking. When real money is involved, you know, you have a pretty accurate gauge on how the market is feeling about every player. And that's great info to have going into your drafts, right? Besides the fact that you have a chance of winning some money on underdog, whether that's through their best ball drafts or whether it's through their NFL season long pickums, where you can, you know, choose higher, higher or lower on a lot of different season long stat lines for almost every player, really. Uh, you combine those into an entry and multiply your money up to 20x. Uh, if you sign up today with the code upper hand, underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. It's a minimum of only $10 to deposit. So use code upper hand to get that deposit doubled up to $100 underdogfantasy.com or you can check out the link in the description of this episode all right man what do you think about Waddle dude like are the concerns valid or like are you are you okay drafting him where he's being drafted beyond valid concerns and I just look at it I've always thought I mean I've watched his price you know sit this high for a long time and I thought for sure like it would come down but it really surprised me that staying up here he has no business being up ahead of some of these guys like Chris Olave I'd take Chris Olave over Jalen Waddle, I think. Uh, just yeah. in terms of what I'm projecting for this season, 100%. And you look you, at... You, you know all- the target share is going to be there. You know he's the number one wide receiver. You know he got a quarterback upgrade. Like, there's a lot to like about Chris Olave. Yeah, 100%. But you mentioned the target share. You know the target share is going to be there with every single guy inside the top 12 except for Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle had such low target numbers. And you can't really hold it against him. We know he's the type of player that only needs that much to produce. You know, he, he has it in him. He showed us last year, but is that going to be sustainable over the years? You know, at this point in his career, could it happen again? I think so. He's plenty young and he has, he's on a very good offense and Tyree kills on the other side. So he's not going to have to deal with the number one cover corner every, every play, but you know, that's not sustainable production. I look at it like there's a guy going at wide receiver 13 right now. His name's Devonte Smith. I'm actually considering him over Jalen Waddle, if, if you ask me. I mean, you look at the target shares and the consistency. Devontae Smith went nine straight weeks last at the end of last season with eight or more targets. Like, that is ridiculous. And he is the wide receiver two. Well, I would say he's a wide receiver 1B, you know, in, in Philadelphia. But he has that type of volume going in his favor where Jalen Waddle, you know, he he could take it to the house and he give him play. But if he's only getting five or six targets a game, that's that's just not going to be enough. So I think it's 100% warranted. Jalen Waddle can absolutely bust, especially at this price. He's like the most expensive, you know, boom bust player right now at the wide receiver position. And th- that price is just way too high. I hear that, man. All right, who else you got? All right, so it's another receiver. And I told you about this one beforehand. Uh, Mike Evans. I know his price is pretty low. He's a wide receiver 35 right now, going off the board in sixth round on underdog. But it's just going to be a tough ride. Oh, Mike Evans. I think this could be the year 
where you finally lose your thousand yard season streak. So it, it won't be so. your fault. Say it it won't be so. your fault. It'll be the fault of the Buccaneers front offense, front office, leaving you to melt in your creamsicle jersey in the flames of the raging dumpster fire of a QB room that they've assembled to fill the shoes of the actual goat. All dramatic prophecies aside, Evans is staring at a really tall challenge to keep his streak alive this season. But if anyone is going to overcome the presumptive abomination the Bucs are about to throw out on the field and label as QB play, it's Chris Godwin. It's not Mike Evans. Godwin is a bonafide target earner. And that's evidenced by 11 straight weeks of eight or more targets last year from week six to 17 when he drew in 127 targets total. The production levels weren't always as high as Mike Evans, but it was consistent. He went that many straight weeks, 13 straight weeks, with at least 10 PPR points on a Buccaneers offense that really wasn't that good, even though they were the high-volume passing offense. Evans also got a bunch of targets, too. You know, he got 112 to be exact, but he caught much fewer of those targets than Godwin did. He had just 61.6% catch rate versus Godwin's 74.8% rate in that span. And he had spike weeks in that time frame, but they were few and far between. He finished as a top 10 receiver just three times all season, but finished outside the top 30 on nine separate occasions with, of course, a wide receiver 29 finish sprinkled in there as well. That doesn't count for the wide receiver 30, but it's essentially a wide receiver 30 and lower finish. Which player would you rather have on your fantasy team as your wide receiver three? That's the range that both Evans and Godwin are being drafted. And it's obviously no question that Godwin's the better fantasy receiver. But there's a point to be made about Evans, potential, Evans potentially slipping outside and well outside the top 40 receivers on a bad Buccaneers offense. I think that a lot of people would agree that Evans might have lost a step last year. You know, he's entering his age 30 season, and it took a 200-yard receiving game in the last game of the year to hit 1,000 yards on the league's highest passing volume offense. Passing volume offense. So if Evans struggled to meet that mark with, in 2022 with Tom Brady at quarterback, it's just going to be a rough ride for him in 2023 with Baker Mayfield at best under center because – is Baker Mayfield, did the Bucs really want Baker Mayfield throwing the ball 600 times? Like Tom Brady was throwing the ball that much with the Bucs all three years he was there. That's not even accounting for Rashad White's projected role in the receiving game either. He's going to be getting targets too. So Mike Evans, I don't know. You might have to kiss that streak goodbye. I don't think it's going to happen this year. And it might, you know, come in spades with this inefficiency, this poor production. You might fall outside of the top 40, maybe even the top 50, because this is going to be a bad offense. I hear you, Zach. And, you know, the Buck situation going into this year, the offense does not look promising at all. Um, I don't have any, you know, I just don't trust Baker Mayfield. We have no idea what to expect from Kyle Trask if, if he ends up getting opportunity. I just, you know, and, and I've talked about this, this, this wide receiver duo of Evans and Godwin. Like, oh, are they this year's you know, Metcalf and Tal Lockett, maybe. But at the end of the day, it's like, do you really want to trust that happening again for a second straight year? Like, two wide receivers who clearly shouldn't be performing as well, are they just going to perform because they're that good? Maybe. But are we going to bet on it two years in a row? Might not be a great idea. Right? So, right. I hear you. I hear you. It's not, uh, it's not an ideal situation for Mike Evans this year, and we could be seeing his streak come to an end. Sad. But that being said, like he has an extra game to do it now, so like 17 games, maybe he can still get it done. It doesn't take that many yards to get 1,000 yards in the season, so I'm hoping it's possible that he still sucks, but also reaches 1,000 yards for fantasy. It's very possible. Right. 
I am not drafting another veteran, OBJ. I'm not drafting much of OBJ, and I don't think he even comes through on his 10th round price tag right now. Like, are we expecting a more balanced offense this year and not a run-heavy offense? Yes. But there are a lot of weapons here in Baltimore right now, right? You got Mark Andrews, who's eating first. You have Rashad Bateman, who's worthy of being a team's wide receiver one when healthy. Hopefully he is, but he's playing for sure. And we'll likely see him near a 100% route participation. So he'll likely be on the field for every pass play. Zay Flowers might even be preferred to OBJ at this point in the pecking order, right? OBJ is turning 31 years old in November. He's had two ACL surgeries in the same knee. You know, I'm rooting for the guy, but is he the third or fourth option on this offense? Like the last time he had a productive season was 2019. Okay. And I I can't buy in for him to make a resurgence right now, especially with all the other weapons the Ravens now have. He's being drafted as the wide receiver, 53 and short. You know, that's already low, right? But it's really about the opportunity cost for me. Like, I don't want to be drafting someone in the 10th round who has a chance to be unusable for fantasy, but also doesn't have the upside of so many other picks in that range. There are so many other upside players being taken around that price range of like the 10th round-ish that I'm even having a hard time choosing out of those three or four options OBJ is not one of those options. Like, he's not even close. No. Like, could OBJ just be a role player, you know, in the Ravens offense? I I, I think so. I mean, obviously, he played very well in the Super Bowl with the Rams. You know, he, he did what he had to do, but then he got injured. And like you mentioned, he's on that twice reconstructed knee. I don't want to say he's going to get injured again, but the, the chances of it only go up the older you're getting with the more injury history you have. Like, I mean... Are you really going to be able to consistently contribute the way that he used to, the way that we know he can? Like, I don't know if that's the case. And like I said, I'm a big fan of Zay Flowers. He was a first-round receiver pick. You know, they went and appeased Lamar. You know, he wanted weapons. They got him plenty of weapons. They signed Odell Beckham Jr. for pretty much money, but I'm not really tuning too much into that. You know, also with Rashad Bateman, like you said, I'm not like against Rashad Bateman or anything, but just for this season, you know, I've been the Zay Flowers guy. I'm going to continue to be the Zay Flowers guy. Both of them are good receivers though. But then you also mentioned Mark Andrews. And then you think about maybe J.K. Dobbins starts getting some work. You know, that's only going to pull away more targets that are going out to the perimeter guys, which Odo Beckham Jr. is one of them. You know, there's all different ways this offense can go. And is there any way that it shakes out where Odo Beckham is suddenly the wide receiver one or even the wide receiver two? Like maybe for a couple of weeks, he might, you know, serve as a wide receiver two while Rashad Bateman gets right. But once they're both back, I think he's, he, I, he, he might be a role player. Yeah. It, it might be a situation where, you know, they did sign him for a lot of money, but, you know, one year deal and, you know, it could be more of a mentorship type of thing with him and Zay Flowers and Rashad Bateman too. Obviously, you know, he's still young. Mm-hmm. And like I situation. said, to appease Lamar. Like, remember, Lamar was pounding the table for weapons. He's like, I need somebody in the receiving game, that kind of thing. They mm-hmm. haven't really done yep. much for it. Like, they went and did that. And that's good. They got the weapons that they needed. Although Beckham Jr., I think him and Lamar are friends, too. So, like, that was also – it was a Rodgers-esque addition. You know, if right. you talk about, like, Alan Lazard going to the Jets, this was a Rodgers-esque Oh, man, we're putting, we're putting OBJ in the Alan Lazard conversation. Uh, I'm not oh, saying man. in talent, but just the way they were added to the team. You know, it was an expensive deal, short term, just to appease your quarterback. They went and added Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers, I think, is going to be the long-term option, obviously. There's no question about that. But um, that that's the way I view it.
I, I'd rather I, drop down Lazard at this point, honestly, this year, because maybe. there's a chance that like he's like legit buddy buddy with Aaron Rodgers and he becomes the number two target behind Garrett Wilson. It's possible. It's, it's possible. possible. Anyway. But it's Alan Lazard. You have a tight end that you're yeah. not so high on this year that you think has a chance of not coming through on this price. In fact, potentially busting. One hundred percent. My last bust for the episode stays in the AFC North. We're talking about David Njoku. He's a tight end nine. Now, a lot of people love David Njoku because they know what he can be, but he hasn't been that. You know, he's going at the 9-10 turn. According to David Njoku's fantasy football history, he's being drafted right now at his absolute ceiling. He's never finished higher than the PPR tight end nine in his career. That was all the way back in 2018 during the early days of Baker Mayfield. And he did finish as a tight end 10 last year, but it doesn't tell the whole story. He finished with single-digit fantasy points eight times in his 14 games played. Yikes. And that was with lesser target competition in 2022 than he'll have in 2023. I mean, Amari Cooper, he should be good for 120 targets again, as he's been for his entire career. But the potential danger for Njoku lies in the offseason addition of Elijah Moore. Word is that Deshaun Watson and Moore have kind of been building chemistry together, you know. And Moore was a second-round pick in the draft just two years ago. I know how you feel about Elijah Moore. There's no way he's lost the talent that we saw him have have in his rookie year when he averaged nine targets a game in his rookie season over a five-week span before he was injured. You know, he missed the rest of the year. But Watson will also be the best quarterback that Elijah Moore has played with in his career. And we can't forget about Donovan Peoples-Jones, who averaged six targets a game and 13.8 yards per reception last year with Jacoby Brissett mixing in at quarterback. Well, starting for most of the season, and Deshaun Watson coming in and being a shell of himself. He still had 13.8 yards per reception. There's something to be said about that. There's plenty of talent around the Joker now. And I think that's as much as there's ever been in his career, actually. And the odds of him leading the Browns pass catchers in targets any given week, I feel like it's pretty darn low. And if that's not enough, here's the kicker. And I found this one pretty interesting. Deshaun Watson's heyday, the three prime fantasy years between 2018 and 2020, when he finished inside the top five all three years, no Texans tight end finished higher than the tight end 17 in any of those seasons. And even that high of a finish, the tight end 17 finish, that was a touchdown-dependent anomaly of a year where Darren Fells had seven touchdowns. Najoku, realistically, I think he could slide into that tight end 18-20 range, which is half as high as a finish that he's being projected as at right now with his ADP being at the tight end nine. I think he's a bust waiting to happen. I think it's officially a crime that he's going ahead of Pat Fryermuth with all of this issue, all these issues that he has. Like, I just don't think... At the tight end nine, he's going to be able to come through on that with all the weapons in the offense, even if it's good. Deshaun Watson has a history of not targeting tight ends very much. If he has to be touchdown dependent, that's not going to get you anywhere near where you need to be if you're drafting him that high. Yeah, and um, if you look at the games that Njoku had with Watson, they just weren't as good as they were with Jacoby Brissett. And now, one thing that could offset this is that there is – there are some rumors in the air that the Browns become a lot more pass heavy and mm-hmm. Watson, you know, becomes himself. And this is more of a Watson tailored offense. If that happens, we could see enough targets to go around between him, Cooper and Elijah Moore. But what if Donovan Peoples Jones, you know, steps up as well? Cause there were times where he got more targets than Mark Cooper last year. So yep. this is a, a, a pretty well balanced offense. If I say so myself, Right, you got Amari Cooper as, as the one. You got Elijah Moore coming out of the slot. You got DPJ as the as the as the downfield threat. 
right? You have um, Nick Chubb obviously coming out the backfield. Like, good offensive line. If anybody's going to break out this year, like re-break out, is Deshaun Watson, right? Yeah. Like, that's what, it, you know, that's who I like in this offense um, besides, you know, Nick Chubb, right? right. So, yeah, I think Njoku uh, has an uphill battle to climb if he's going to be anywhere close to a top five tight end. You know, if I had to guess, Zach, honestly, I would guess that he finishes as a low-end tight end one this year. I, I don't think he's going to completely bust, you know, like completely out of the tight end one radar. Um, but I do like a couple other tight ends that are being taken around him, and I don't really have much exposure to him at all, an underdog in the hundreds of drafts that I've done so far. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the opportunity cost is a little bit too high for me because he doesn't – I don't think he offers the upside that a lot of these other tight ends do. Uh, around like his Fryman. price, he's going behind. Him. Like Brad, Brad Firemuth is like l- literally right there, where the yep. joke was being taken. So it's Firemuth all day long for me. One hundred percent. I love it. What a great episode. We talked bust, but we didn't keep it. You know, it was a little negative, but it's okay. It's okay. okay um, uh, just a couple <laughs> other guys that I want to mention that you know, you know, you guys know. You know, I've talked about Jonathan Taylor a lot. You know, I think mm-hmm. he does have a chance of busting on his price now. Jonathan Taylor is going to be his floor isn't that low, right? Like his floor is probably like high in RB two, okay. So like, but at the end of the day, like he's being drafted in the first round, right? Um, right. So that's the concern, right? Like, is he is he supposed to be drafted in the end of the, at the end of the second rather than the first? Um, that's really what it comes down to me. So like, is he going to bust? Like, you know, was he a bust last year? I think so because he was drafted number one overall and he was basically an RB two last year uh, and he was hurt, so that sucked. Uh, but, you know, we talked about Anthony Richardson not checking it down as much, right? We talked about him, you know, running it instead. We talked about him at the goal line, vulturing some touchdowns from JT. Uh, but, you know, Jonathan Taylor still has a chance of leading the league in rushing yards because, yeah. you know, he's that good, number one. Number two, those running lanes are going to open up with Anthony Richardson behind center, okay? So yeah. he's going to have wide open running lanes to to, to to run through. Look at what Jake can also. He's, yeah. Go ahead. We can also talk about no. Anthony Richardson as a yeah. bust <laughs> QB 10 right now. If things don't go right, I think he could be a bust. He what could be think? a bust. Boom bust. He, he's, he's literally the definition of boom bust. Yep. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Okay. Let's see. Anybody else that I had? Brian Robinson, you know, not super high on him either this year, obviously, but like, you know, he's being drafted as like the RB 34 on sleeper, RB 37 on underdog. Ninth, tenth round ish. It's possible that he just like fades into oblivion. Like I can see that totally happening with him, uh, right. especially if Gibson gets the role that we think he's going to get this year. Um, but Robinson is just an early down plotter who wasn't necessarily efficient. Um, some might say that well, he got shot, my friend. So how can he be efficient? <laughs> um, I totally understand that, but he also wasn't too efficient in college either uh, on a great offense. So just keep that in mind. Okay, right. Um, the yard, the production was there, right? In in, in his you know, senior year, but like he wasn't efficient with his touches. So just, just keep that in mind. He's a great goal line guy though. He's a great short, short yardage guy. So it is possible that he ends up getting some touchdowns if the offense takes a step forward, but am I going to want the, uh, the touchdown dependent early down option on the commanders? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) If you have a subscribe to the podcast, that would mean the world to us on whichever platform you're using. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. We'll be back early next week. Our draft kit should be coming out very shortly. Patreon.com slash Upper Hand Fantasy. 
You can find all the rankings there right now, fully updated as of a couple days ago. Go check that out. Uh, Patreon.com slash UpperHandFantasy for all of that. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week.